It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, as we often do, I want to thank our church, Joliet First, for being a giving church. Over the last uh, week, we've had lots of needs that have, have needed to be met, and you have stepped up to the plate. And so I want to thank you this morning for being a giving church. If you've missed it, um, we have now begun our community projects, where we go out into the community, and we do for people what they can't do for themselves. And so yesterday, we had one of those projects, and we were able to plant plants uh, for a lady yesterday who, who couldn't do it for herself. And so that has been a great time, and we would encourage you to be part of those community projects. So if you would, go online, sign up for a project. There's plenty to be part of, and we would love to have you. Well, this morning, if you are new at Joliet First, it is our mission to become a community of hope. And we see at the very beginning of God's word that God calls the farmers to leave the edges of the field for the orphan, the poor, the widow, and the foreigner. And so here at Joliet First, as we figure out what it means to become a community of hope, we are asking, what does it look like for us to be the edges of the field? And so we, we, we have really made it our mission at Joliet First to make Joliet First. And, and what, one of the ways that we feel like we can offer hope is through being shaped by four principles that we've studied over the last four weeks. And this, so this morning, I need your help because I think we still aren't getting it just yet, so I need you to say it with me. Our first core principle is that we will seek God and seek his kingdom and seek him with the same intensity at which he seeks us. And then we will invest. I'm not hearing everybody this morning. We will invest our time, our money, our resources in our gifts into to God's people and the people who need him so they might be restored into the image of God that God created them to be, so they might be sent to the world. Wow, you are scholars this morning. <laughs> well, we are beginning a new series, or continuing our series, Group, God's Plan for Sustaining and Creating Community. And if you weren't with us last week, let me fill you in real quick. We said last week this, we stole from another pastor, that we believe here at Joliet First that in groups, circles are better than rows. And, and last week I said this, that Often in circles, we gain a better understanding in our faith than we do in sanctuaries. Now, I believe that sanctuaries create more questions. In fact, many of you will walk away today and you'll say, why do we, why did they? And so we're going to do a whole series in the fall called, Why Do We Do What We Do? A lot of doo-doo. Maybe we'll read the doo-doo passage from Paul. But anyway, so we, we said that circles are better than rows. And we, we saw that, that there was something that happened among the people in Acts 2.42, that as they ate together, there was a connection. And so we said that as God's people, we will break bread together. And we saw that breaking bread did three things. The first is that it breaking broke boundaries. And so we saw in the text that, that friendship in that day, having all things in common meant that you had to have the same amount of money, the same kind of lifestyle. And Luke writes about friendship and the new, in the new world that God has created. And I love it. He says, no longer will we be de defined by culture and by race and by how much money you have. But we will eat together and we will connect and we will break boundaries when we break bread. That's really hard to say. The other thing we said is that breaking bread creates community. And we saw that in the early church, they ate together. And this, this language, ate together, translate, they received nourishment. And so we worked with this idea that the eating is inseparable from meeting. And so when we meet, we must eat. And when we eat, we must meet together. And it's when we eat and meet together that we receive the nourishment that Christ, that we, that we need to carry out Christ's mission. So breaking bread creates community. 
The last thing we said was that breaking bread creates an immediate connection to Christ. And so we saw Christ on the road on the new day of, after his resurrection. And people couldn't recognize Jesus. And he sits with them. And the moment that he breaks bread, their eyes are open to him. And so we said that our connection to Christ is only as healthy as our connection to others and Christ. And we landed on this idea that we must begin to see our tables as a place of sacred space. We must begin to see our tables as a place of sacred space. And we challenged you to do things. One, when you join a community group, don't see your time eating together as a formality, but rather as a time where you get to meet together and experience God's presence. The other thing we challenged you to do last week is to eat with three people throughout the week. One from the church, one from not from the church, and you get to choose on the last one. So my question this week is, how's that working out for you? I'm hoping that we literally are starting to eat our way to the kingdom of God. So we'll continue with our series group, uh, God's Plan for Creating and Sustaining Community. Will you pray for me? Lord, it's in this moment that we, we begin to open our minds and hearts to what you would say to us this day. Your words be vibrant, and may it move us to obedience. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it wasn't long ago at my last church. Every Thursday we had a staff meeting. And whoever would get to the church first would uh, fill the coffee pot. And so we would gather early in the morning, and we'd drink coffee, and then we'd go off to prayer. And it was after prayer that we would have our staff meeting together. And so we were preparing for the meeting, and, the, and we got into the meeting. And, and unfortunately, what happened is the morning coffee began to work its magic. Some of you will get where I'm going with this. So I politely excused myself during the staff meeting, and nothing prepared me for the fateful events that were about to happen that day. I was washing my hands, and I looked over at this porcelain masterpiece, and I noticed that the water wasn't subsiding. Rather, it was, it was rising. And it was rising and rising. And panic began to set in because it wasn't just the water that was rising. And so I freaked out. I ran to the other side of the toilet. And I was expecting to find this knob of deliverance. But, but instead, I found this unsuspecting notch of no return. Somebody thought it would be a great idea to make a, a square keyhole that you would have to put a secret key in to turn the water off. And so I realized in that moment, there was no stopping the ensuing deluge. I knew it was coming. So I ran to our administrator, and I said, where is the shutoff key? And she said, oh, it's locked away in my vault. So apparently, you needed a security clearance and a security code to get the key to shut off the water. I don't know who built the building, but they should really rethink their job. And what was once contained in a white porcelain masterpiece soon was contained in the entire kids' ministry room. And I was really embarrassed. And I had to go to the janitor, and I, I was, do you know how, what it's like to try to explain that to somebody? And so the janitor was so gracious, he came over, and I cleaned it with him. But the problem was I missed the whole staff meeting. And so I walked in to the staff meeting at the end, and they said, where have you been? And I just looked at him. If you only knew what has happened in the last 45 minutes... So I began to explain the details. And you could see on their face, and that very minute was like, whoa, you've just crossed the boundary, Brad. Please stop. Please stop sharing. Have you ever met somebody 
who didn't have the capacity to filter their thoughts or experiences, and they would say everything that should never be said. I mean, maybe you have coworkers like this. Like, uh, they have this amazing weekend that would make Vegas look like a holy site. Maybe you've had people who, who tell you about their medical experiences, and, and it really makes you want to cower and cringe. Maybe people have told you about growths on places that you never knew existed on the body. Uh, some of you have heard about relationships, and quite frankly, whatever they told you really should have stayed in the relationship. And my fast is, when did Facebook, when did Facebook become the place to say everything that we should never say? My wife sent me a few of these this week. Here's one of them. Do we have it up here? It says, Brayla, blow your nose. I see a big boogie. No, it's my noodle, Mom. Your noodle? She exhales through her nose, and there's a ramen noodle from lunch. Unbelievable. Yes. Our next one. It says, I have a disgusting uh, mass mess to clean up, but I don't even care because it's the mess from a 17-month-old that just used the potty. Such a proud mom. Really? Was that necessary? Oh, this is even worse. $112 later, we found the culprit. I wonder which child of mine put these down here in the toilet. That's gross. Lastly, it says, oh, Joyce, I'm having a newborn baby boy. I give him a bath, he pees on me. I I change his diaper, he pees on his face and all over me and the couch twice. I then feed him and he poops in his diaper and spits up all over himself back in the tub again. But he's so cute. (laughs) People are unbelievable, really. You see, in my family, we have a word for this. In fact, we have a signal. When you begin to share things that shouldn't be shared, we, we do this. Oversharing. Oversharing. But here's TMI, too much information. That's right. But i got to be honest with you this morning. There's something disgustingly refreshing about people who are, who are really honest and say things that should never be said. Because they say... What never should be said because they're saying everything that has run through your head or something that you've experienced in life. And here's the reality. People who tend to overshare, give, give word and voice to the things that you experience in life, you just think you experience alone. And so I think that people who, who tend to overshare take their relationship to a whole different level. And I think that in the church, our problem is we tend to undershare. You see, we have to keep appearances. We like to keep our personal problems personal. And so this morning, I want you to hear this, that that I think when we share our experiences, we create credibility. Now hear this this morning. Credibility is gained. Credibility is gained when we stop keeping appearances and we start sharing experiences. Hey, that's good. If I was taking notes today, I'd take notes on myself. You, You should too. Credibility. Credibility is is gained when we stop keeping appearances and we start sharing experiences. And so this morning, we're going to look at uh, a book in in, in Thessalonians. We're going to look at a letter. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For those of you unfamiliar with where Thessalonians is, that's okay. We'll read it for you. Or you can find the uh, table of contents in the front and find your way. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. 
suspicion. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. No, we, we aren't trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. He goes on to say, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like you. We were like young children among you. And just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I'm going to stop there for right now. If you are if you are new to the faith, if you are experimenting or researching what Christianity is all about, I want you to hear this this morning that that, that Thessalonians is written by a guy that, that is kind of the the hero of the Christian faith. But in many ways, he is like a lot of us. You see, Paul, the writer of Thessalonians, was was suspect of this Christ movement that was taking place. He was, he was fairly uncertain that a, a guy who was a man who claimed to be God could be raised from the dead. And so he made it his mission because the, this movement in Christianity began to threaten the systems in place. And so Paul made it his mission that he would persecute and kill people and Christians and churches. The beauty of it is this, is that we don't believe in a God that, that, that just leaves his people to their own selfish desires and their own sin. But rather, God meets us in our brokenness. And he meets Paul on this journey. And he begins to speak to Paul. And he works in his life. And Paul begins to literally turn his life around. That's what we mean by repentance. Not that we're necessarily sorry for our sins. But Paul went from, from basically killing churches to planning churches. And he became the greatest missionary in the history that we've ever seen. And so often, Paul begins to write letters, because often Paul gets put in jail. And when he's traveling, he writes letters back to the churches that he started to kind of nurture them, to kind of help them and move them along in the relationship with Christ. And so this morning, he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, the people in Thessalonica. Now, you have to understand some backstory here. Thessalonica was this massive city. It was kind of the, the capital of the province of Macedonia. It was a big trading place because they had a major port. There were about 100,000 people that lived there. But one of the things that was interesting about Thessalonica was that they were religiously pluralistic. In other words, they loved to worship all the gods, everybody from uh, Zeus to Aphrodite to Dionysus. And they also believed that Emperor Rome or Caesar himself was God. And so it was kind of this common practice to worship gods and to worship Caesar. Now, they had one god named Kabiris, which I really find interesting. The Thessalonians really kind of clung on to this guy. You see, he was martyred and killed. And they, they believed that one day he would be raised from the dead, and he would meet the Thessalonians, and he would, he would basically bring them out of their powerlessness and give them salvation. Sound familiar? And so Paul swoops in. What's also interesting about this god was that the high society the people with all the money. The people who were the ones in power kind of adopted this God. And they said, you low folks, you people who don't have any money, you, you can't have them. He's not for you. 
So Paul runs in, and he begins to talk about the message of Christ. And we know that Jesus was kind of flipping the world upside down. And all the common folk, they, kind of, they just kind of rallied around Jesus. Because Kabiris wasn't for them. But we know that Jesus loved the poor. He loved the people that were kind of the underdogs in life. And so the Thessalonians kind of grasp onto this. But there's a great problem. And this is what we see in the story. Is that as they begin to grasp onto Jesus Christ, they let go of Caesar and they let go of all the gods. And then the persecution happened. Because the same movement that happened around Paul's time happened in Thessalonica. Or Thessalonica. And so they begin to persecute the Christians, and Paul ends up leaving right away. Now, here's what happens. Paul begins to lose credibility. He begins to lose his street cred. You see, he, he kind of dipped out. He skipped and dipped. He just kind of left. And the Thessalonians are starting to get kind of upset with him. Here you are. You come in. You bring this message of hope. And then all of a sudden, we're persecuted, and you decide that you're going to leave us. And so all these rumors start to, rumors and slander begin to build up around Paul. I love what, I love what we see here. He, he was charged with this. They said this. He said, you can't listen to Paul. Paul's got a police record. You see, he's running from the justice system. So anybody who's credible wouldn't be in, the, in jail. So you can't listen to him for that. He's also known as being a madman and crazy. And in fact, in his later life, Festus tried to, to, to try to get him out because he was really crazy. And Jesus was known as being crazy. In fact, his friends took Jesus home to get him away from people because they thought he was mad. Paul was charged with impurity. Now the word uh, akatharsia actually means sexual impurity. So Paul's being accused of sexual impurity. And, and here's where they get this. You see, Christians would have a love feast. And it was during the love feast that you would give a, a, a kiss of peace. Now we pass the peace here because I don't want to kiss you. And I'm sure you don't want to kiss me. So we pass the peace. But the Christians would kiss each other as a sign of peace. And, and people on the outside who were evil began to pervert that and say that Paul was sexually impure. One of the other things that they said about Paul was that he was in it for the money. That he was trying to make himself great. They also said that he was trying to tickle people's ears. You see, they were used. They were used to the message of legalism and slavery. And here he comes with a message of freedom and grace. Why is it that religious people have to think they have to be unhappy to be religious? I, I'm still trying to work through that, but, but that's what's happening here. Paul gives this message of happiness and hope, and they're saying, you are a fraud. They also said that he was also a dictator. But, but I love this this morning. Paul begins to write to him, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry, just, just let's, let's take a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. And Paul begins to write to the Thessalonians, and he begins to share his experience with them. He said, you, all the things that you have charged me of is about keeping appearances. If I really wasn't invested in the gospel of Christ, I would be asking for your money. I would be asking for your food. I would be in jail because I'm a criminal and step for the gospel. He said, so wait, wait, wait a minute, just look, look here. You see what happened in Philippi? This crazy lady was following me around, and she kept telling me that I was... Some, some apostle of Christ. And she was so annoying that I literally turned around and converted her right there. And people were so mad at, at me for doing that because she made money for them because she was a sorcerer and a fortune teller. And Paul says, in that moment, I was stripped naked. I was beat with bars. 
And I was flogged severely. And then I was put in jail. Is, is that the guy, kind of guy who's, who's not in it with you? Is that the kind of guy who's a fraud? Do, do you, he says, do you remember where I came from? Do you realize that I used to come from a position of power where I began to, 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 to determine the fate of people's future? I had luxury. I had the life. And then I met Christ. And now I'm richly impoverished and indebted to the gospel of Christ because of it. And I love what he says. Paul says, we're trying to mask our greed. Now this, this word mask literally, literally means to, to put on a show. Paul says, we weren't trying to put on a show for you. In fact, I'm sharing these experiences with you so you will understand that the persecution that you are facing is the same persecution that I'm going through with you. That the commonality that we have is Christ and we are both being persecuted for Christ. Paul begins to gain a little bit of credibility with the people in this moment. And so then I love what he says. He says, <laughs> in verse 7, he says, instead we were like children among you. In other words, we didn't have all the power. We were rather, rather humbled and submissive. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I love the picture that Paul gives us this morning. It speaks to the depth of the relationship that he had with the people in Thessalonica. It's a hard word to say. That's right. You see, Paul wants us to envision a mother who is nurturing her child. And when a mother nurtures a child, she must draw them into her, then feed them and give them life. And so the image that Paul wants to give the people at this time, he says, he says, I am drawing you into me. And I love what he says. I was with you, where we shared the gospel and we shared our experiences with you. So what Paul wants to say in this moment is that in the moment that we were with you, we gave you the word. And in my life, the word became flesh. And I believe that, that Paul, for the people, became a life filled with hope for people whose lives have been deserted because they believed in the pagan gods, because they were left to live by Caesar's commands, because they were left in the middle of despair, and they were waiting for salvation to happen. And Paul says, it was in the moments that we shared our experiences together. When, it was, when I was with you was when we gained credibility together where we learned what it meant to be Christ together. And Paul didn't have to look very far. In fact, he looked at the life of Jesus. I've been working through small groups with my father-in-law. My father-in-law teaches small groups at Olivet. He also runs small groups in one of the largest churches in the district here. And so he has me reading this, this book by Coleman about how we do ministry. And Coleman's pretty forthright. He, he doesn't save anything back. He doesn't hold anything back. But I love his argument. He, he begins to talk about, and he begins to look at the life of Jesus and how we disciple, therefore, and mentor people. And he says, basically, Jesus was with his disciples all the time. 
This was the essence of his training program. He didn't have special programs. He didn't have Sunday school class or membership class. I love what he says. He says, all Jesus did to teach his men, now hear the language, was he would draw them in close, and he would nurture them, and show them what it was like to give people life. And so the the apostles, they gained their knowledge by association rather than explanation. And I I love this idea that God is with us. You see, there are some of you this morning that, that believe that God is with you. But we see in this story, and we learn from the life of Jesus, that God centered his life on being with people. And so we believe that God's not distant. We believe he's not somewhere off. We don't believe that God asks you to do things that he never did himself. But rather, God is with you in these moments. And we know that he loves you. And the reason we know he loves you is because he was with people. And he demonstrated his love by the people he was with. And so, I love what Coleman says. He says, when is the church, when is the church going to figure this out? He says, preaching to the masses, occasional prayer meetings, training classes, membership classes, Sunday school, they will never suffice for preparing leaders. He says, if these are all that the church has to develop the young, he says, if this is all the church has to convert the young into disciples, then they are defeating their own purposes by contributing to a false security. And if the new convert follows the same lazy example, it may ultimately do more harm than it does good. He says this, there's a lot of talk in the church about evangelism. There's a lot of talk in the church about Christian nurture and discipleship. There's little concern for personal association and being with people when it becomes evident that such work involves the sacrifice of personal indulgence. He says this, there's simply no substitute for being with And so what Paul wants to say to to the people today, what Jesus demonstrates for us, and what Coleman wants to say to us, is that it is when we are with each other, it is when we are sharing in God's gospel, it is when we are being honest about our experiences in life, where we overshare and we lay it on the line and we tell people, here's what I'm dealing with, here are my frustrations. I don't know what that looks like when it comes to Jesus. It's in those moments as we share with each other, there's a credibility that's built. And the credibility allows you the right and each other the right to speak into the life of each other. To say, in this moment, in this moment, this is what God's word says. In this moment, this is what it looks like to live the life of Jesus. And I love what Paul says at the end. He says, brothers and sisters, you became imitators of God's church in Judea. We are in Jesus Christ. And so I think that as we begin to be with each other in community groups, as we gather together and we eat and we have a connection, and as we share, we create credibility that allows us to form and shape each other into the image that God calls us to be. We become imitators as we teach each other how to live in Christ. So this morning, you're saying, why are groups so important? Again, I believe, and Paul shares with us today, that is when we are gathered together, when we are with each other, that things really begin to happen, that we become the church. So what I want you to know, here's what I want you to know today. 
I've already said it, and I'll say it again, that credibility is gained when we stop keeping appearances and we start sharing experiences. Now, I have to give story to this thought this morning, and then I'll let you go. This past week, or a couple weeks ago, uh, a lady shared on our Wednesday night Bible study about a friend who was dealing with addictions and drugs, dealing with heroin. And it was after that Bible study that Woody, uh, everybody knows Woody, our Sunday school uh, superintendent, walked up to her and said, I used to struggle with heroin. I used to struggle with drugs. I used to be addicted. And it was like a light bulb on me. In that moment, in that moment, as he shared his experience in his battle with drugs, there was sort of a credibility that was gained in the relationship with this young lady. Because now, she wasn't looking at Woody as the perfect Nancy Nazarene that has always been a Christian, but rather this is somebody who has really struggled and dealt with issues in life. This is somebody who really fully understands addiction. And so you see, he gains credibility in that moment. And not just credibility about, oh, he's been through that and now he's awesome. No, it's, it's the credibility that for this young lady, I can see hope for my friend. That, that somebody who's now living the Christian life, who was once addicted, has now been restored into the image of God and they are given hope. And so she walked away excited because this is the exact same thing that could happen to my friend. No longer does she have to be addicted. She can be stored by a God who desperately, desperately wants her to be what he has created her to be. That's why, that's why we quit keeping appearances and we start sharing our experiences with other people. So here's what I want you to do. A couple things. When we begin to start small groups in the fall, I want you to be part of one. And I don't want you to to be there holding up defenses, but I want you to be part. And I want you to be able to share freely about what's going on in your life. Because sharing creates credibility. But the other thing that I want you to do is, for months now, and I know you're sick of me saying it, but I'm not sick of me saying it, is that I need you, I need you to invest and be with one person. We may eat our way into the kingdom, but we also need to mentor our way into the kingdom. One-on-one is what it takes. There are some of you who will walk out of here today and you will not talk to another another person who is new in the life of Christ for the week. And I need your help mentoring these young folks in Christ. So we've been saying, be the one to win the one. There is somebody, there is somebody who needs to know what Jesus looks like. And just like Paul, You stand as the image of redemption for them. They look up to you. But they can't look up to you if you're not with them. So this morning I'm challenging our seasoned Christians who have been in the church for years. Pastor Mike, you've got a whole list of new Christians that need your help. And I think Coleman would be so happy with you. He would. It's interesting, my father-in-law tells me about this guy. This isn't just something that he writes about. Coleman would, would tell people, as he would teach, he would say, hey, I'm going up to do ministry here. If you would like to come with me, you're more than welcome. He would take him out to lunch, and he would do ministry. So he always had somebody with him wherever he went. 
This is something we need to practice as a community that's trying to be hope for other people. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we give thanks for the opportunity to gather together in groups. And Lord, we believe today that that as we begin to gather in groups, that, that we begin to experience what a healthy community looks like. So Lord, we love you. And we praise you. And we ask that you give us the strength and the guidance to, to, to ma- uh, mentor and empower those who need it the most. We glorify you today. We praise you today. We thank you for this wonderful time of worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.